And then I talked to two women that were inside the mouth of a humpback whale. Get the fuck out. What is happening? I am Mal Foster and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favorite above average but infinitely curious podcast, Dined Out, a show dedicated to exploring the mysteries and the meaning of life, a kaleidoscope of culture and society, or, you know, something like that. <laughs> so for new listeners, hopefully of which there are many listening to this because it is the season free debut for new listeners, that's kind of what we do here in a nutshell. For people that have been with Dined Out for a little while, then yeah, that is the extended new intro. And I'm, I'm just trying it out. I'm trying it on for size. I'm putting it on and I'm strutting around in the changing room mirror looking at myself from a number of angles. Might take a couple of selfies with it on. I don't know. I'm trying it. If you feel it's too much... Let me know, let me know, but I just, what I want to do is, because I do want to treat every episode of this season and every episode of this show going forward as if it is possibly an introduction to somebody who has never, ever heard of this before. So I wanted to kind of do something that is kind of in tune with what we're doing, but yeah, at the same time consolidates exactly what this show is about. Because when people ask, it's pretty difficult to actually accurately describe what the podcast is about. But I think that kind of does it. I think that really does get it down to, to quite the essence of what we've been doing here. But in typical fashion, I digress. As I just mentioned, it is the start of season three. So let's take a moment to celebrate. But not too much, though. You know, everything in moderation, and that includes tooting my own horn. But yeah, this season is, I am so excited to be sharing the stuff that I have already accumulated for you. Just to give you a little sample platter a little preview of the menu, as it were. Some of the things that you can expect in the next few weeks alone include, but are not limited to, monkeys with brain implants, merging humanity with technology. We're going back to that, but we're going in from some different angles. We're looking at self-driving cars and AI. We're looking at social media, online comparative behavior. We're looking at mysticism. We're looking at soul reading. I am going to have my chakras read at some point down the line, and I'm going to have some tarot cards pulled. We're going to be talking about ketamine infusion therapy with a fella who, for, for a good chunk of time, like 10 plus years, worked as a paramedic, but then had to retire and has found uh, just a great deal of solace in this treatment and throwing himself into his art. And we're going to be talking to a former Q Anon follower. So, yeah, to say that the menu for this season in particular is varied and eclectic is somewhat of an understatement. We are looking back at some previously discussed subjects and topics, but we're looking at things from a different angle and we're kind of going to go in with more depth. But more excitingly for me, and hopefully for you, is the fact that this season we are breaking some serious new ground. And this episode, the one that is kickstarting the season, is a perfect example of that. In just a few moments, we are going to be talking to our very first special guest of the season, who is... Jeremy Carberry. I'm a wilderness kayak guide, uh, animal handler, and I'm starting a podcast where I interview people who've been attacked by animals and survived. It's called The Teeth. 
Yeah, so that's what we're doing this week. That's how we're kicking off season three. We're going to be diving into Jeremy's podcast, why he decided to start it, how it all came to be. But more specifically, we're going to kind of get into his history as an animal handler, how exactly it is he got hold of a scorpion. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon. But in particular, his own personal animal attack survival stories. Yeah, that's right. Plural. A singular one would be terrifying enough, but the man has had a few encounters to say the least, and we're going to be diving into a couple of them. In general, as a whole, Jeremy was an absolutely cracking conversation, but it's this particular topic which really, really snags my fascination. I think mainly because I am so cut out from that world. I am such a stranger to the world of animal attacks and just all of that. I mean, the closest I've ever come to an animal attack is probably being chased by a dog on my paper round, or when my auntie's cat scratched me on my face when I was about eight or nine, which admittedly I did knock me off cats for some number of years, but you know, I'm, I'm all right now. So <laughs> that's why I won't be appearing on Jeremy's podcast. Unless of course you just get really desperate, Jeremy. I can of course flesh out the details a little bit, but I have a feeling it probably won't compare to some of the stories you've already had. In all seriousness, and a little bit of context for you before we dive in, it took me and Jeremy a little minute or two to kind of get this together, mainly from some scheduling conflicts that were my fault, completely my fault, and some tech issues at the beginning. But when we did get everything sorted, everything was aligned, the mics were hot, I think, and I'm sure you will agree once you get into this conversation, I think me and Jeremy spun some pure gold here. I'm really pleased that we've, we've finally got around to actually getting this into motion. It feels like we've kind of had this set up for a little while and then through various uh, different things, um, you know, we've, we've kind of had to sort of prolong it. But we're, we're finally here and it's, it's pretty awesome to finally sit down and chat with you. I'm excited. I've got lots of things to pick your brain about. Explain <laughs> to listeners a little bit, you kind of touched on it in your intro, but explain to listeners what it is and what they can expect to hear. Yeah, uh, so pretty much... There's no podcast that just talks to people that have survived animal attacks, at least that I've been able to find. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I found that too. I found that you are in a very sort of unique niche area of the market, which is rare. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I've kind of just randomly put myself in position for this by uh, being an audio engineer, which you wouldn't guess by the way our, uh, our intro <laughs> went. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've worked in recording studios a lot and um, mix music, record music. And um, so I have those skills to kind of do the technical side of the podcast. And then I also um, have worked as an animal handler in Hollywood. So I, you know, interact with animals there. And I'm always in the wilderness. So I have a lot of stories of my own. I also just got my wilderness first aid certification. So I kind of understand um, the injuries and the gore on a little more technical level yeah. so for instance you know somebody says that something happened and it doesn't make sense i can like like well maybe you're using the wrong term for that so hopefully medically it's going to be pretty accurate as well <laughs> that's pretty cool though because it kind of adds an extra layer of, of depth and and sort of a, a different dimension to it you know you'll be looking at, at obviously the attacks but you'll be looking at the, the sort of as you say sort of technical medical aspects of it the the actual damage that's been done and and what has been done to kind of 
overcome that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. You really have sort of melded both of your worlds together then, from the audio engineering to to the animal handling, which we're going to get into because I am deeply, deeply fascinated and I have just like a billion questions about that. Oh, cool. You seem to have like melded both your worlds together to create this thing. Yeah, you know what? Like I I started doing uh, wilderness kayak tours maybe four or five years ago. What is that? Just just to jump in real quickly to, to explain to, to layman's like me. Pretty much, you know, if you come out to California and you want to see some maybe more remote areas of California, specifically, uh, right now I'm working 20 miles off the coast of California on the Channel Islands National Park. And it's wilderness. Nobody lives out there. Uh, there's no cell phone service. There's no electricity, you know, which, you know, which is sounds kind of... Uh, challenging but then when you think of all the modern civilization things that we don't like all those yeah. things aren't out there either so <laughs> yeah it, it, it sounds kind of terrifying jeremy but also kind of idyllic and i'm not sure which one i'm leaning more towards it's yeah it's definitely equal parts both i think yeah which which makes it all the more uh alluring to a lot of people so yeah if you come out there and you want to you know check out some we have some massive sea caves um pretty amazing wildlife whales, dolphins, sea lions. So if you want to check those things out with somebody who knows the area, then okay. uh, then yeah, that's that's me. I'm the person. Go ahead. So that, is this how you started? Is this is this like your starting point, the, the, the wilderness kayaking, or is this something that you've kind of got into at a later point? So I do it, I'm really lucky to get paid to do it. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's definitely something that people pay money to go do. And I actually mm-hmm. get paid to do it. So that's, that's really lucky. But I've been, you know, kayaking and snorkeling and hiking and pretty much anything else that gets me out in the woods all my whole life. It's my favorite thing. Right. So it's very much, it's obviously something that just very much appeals to you and that you've kind of been gearing yourself towards maybe subconsciously or just through natural trajectory for for most of your life. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you were saying, you know, I've been able to meld the two worlds. and. And, uh, you know, I would tell people or friends and stuff, you know, like I spend 12 to 20 hours a day in a recording studio in Los Angeles every day. And now I'm also, you know, going out to this island and working outdoors. And some people were like, oh, that's so different, you know. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I never really thought of it as like a different even industry necessarily because it's they're both things that I absolutely love doing. And whether I'm working on music or out, you know, on the ocean on a kayak, like I'm not looking at the clock, like wondering when my shift is over because like I already won. I'm already happy. I already love what I'm doing. That's the dream, right? Yeah. And in my mind, it's the same thing. It's like whether it's a tour or a song, you know, mm-hmm. they, they both, they, they're both hopefully going to tell a story. Hopefully they're both entertaining and, and you're and worth something to the, to the listener or the, the person who's experiencing it so in my mind it's just it's just the same thing they both they both transition into each other really seamlessly but I do understand why people think that they're pretty different (laughs) oh yeah because on on face value it seems like chalk and cheese but that's actually really interesting how you've kind of drawn that parallel and that makes a lot of sense but yeah you wouldn't necessarily think it at first because I was like those do seem like very sort of polar opposite ends of the spectrum (laughs) yeah how did you even get into audio engineering? Like, cause, uh, speaking of the difference, let's kind of tap into that. We'll come back into the animal stuff in just a second, but I'm curious, how did you get into audio engineering? 
Yeah, good question. Uh, I was, when I was in high school, like junior high school or high school, you know, I, I knew that I really, really loved music. And, mm-hmm. you know, every every junior high school kid loves music. It's, it's, that doesn't really make you unique. Right. So, you know, when I, when I told my parents, like, I want to I wanna be a professional musician or work in the music industry, they're like, yeah, okay, go to, you know, go to college and learn a skill. And then as I was in high school, you know, kind of deciding if I was going to go into college, a lot of my friends that were older, that were already out of high school, were, you know, playing in bands and just absolutely, mm-hmm. some of them were just phenomenal musicians. And they were like really struggling. <laughs> like they were, <laughs> yeah. they were really struggling to like pay rent in Ohio, which is like $50 a month or something. <laughs> Exaggerating a little bit there. But, and I was thinking, well, they're like, they're better than I'll ever be. And they're struggling. Like, this isn't looking too good for me. (laughs) So um, I noticed that there was, especially back then, like in the early 2000s, there's definitely a need for audio engineers. The audio engineers at at venues were just trash. They were so bad. Like, it was like they were actively trying to screw up your sound mix, at least at the smaller clubs. And then um, a lot of the recordings that were happening also weren't very good. So there's definitely a need for that. And I, and I realized, well, I could still hang out with all these awesome musicians that I love and I could right. still be a part of the creative process. And I don't have to actually like compete with all my friends that are amazing musicians and all the people that they're competing, which are even more amazing. So how did the, the podcast itself come about? Like, is there something in particular that sort of triggered this idea of, okay, this would be something that I could do this is something that I want to do is there anything in particular which just kind of created a spark of like okay let's do this yeah um I think probably like you (laughs) I've always I've always wanted to do a podcast or you know some kind of like entertainment segment you know whether Mm -hmm. it's it's video or or audio or both or whatever I, I always felt like I had I came across interesting people came across interesting stories had had some things stuff that I wanted to share for for decades, you know, when podcasting first started, I, I was yeah. like, oh, I, I got to do one of these. But I also like, couldn't really pick us a, a topic like, like you, I really love music. I really love finding new music. And I also really like to talk about animals. And I travel a lot, like all different things, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I figured like, it's kind of hard to make a podcast that doesn't really have a focus, at least for me. Yeah, Some people t- get away tell with me about that. it, Jeremy. <laughs> Every week's a bloody struggle because <laughs> there's no solid anchor to this show. It's just whatever I find interesting. So I get, yeah, I, I totally understand that. You're you're the anchor, but you might not feel solid to yourself. <laughs> wow, I like that. I'm going to keep that as I'm going to have that stenciled on the wall next time I'm having like a moment of existential <laughs> doubt. I am the anchor. <laughs> even if you don't feel like it <laughs> exactly even if i just feel like i'm lying to myself i'm like it's a beautiful lie and eventually will believe it if i keep telling myself there it. you go yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so especially like nobody knows who i am nobody cares who i am if you're joe rogan you know he, he's got fans in the comedy he has comedy fans uh, mma fans and then you know fear fact, whatever else he's done. He has mm-hmm. all these different like fan bases. So he can just be like, yeah, I'm Joe Rogan. I'm going to do whatever I want. And it's, it works for him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I'm, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want if I do this, I want it to be like something that, you know, can find an audience without me being famous. So, right. So yeah, whenever this idea came up, my brother actually came up with the idea. He said, I should just make a podcast about stories where I've 
been attacked or almost attacked because there's plenty of those stories. And um, it kind of started from that and then turned into getting stories that are even crazier than the ones I have. See, that's cool. I like that as a jumping off point. I think, you know, a lot of people that, that come to the idea of doing a podcast, you know, you start with what you know. I suppose it's like any creative outlet, film, music, etc. You start with what you know and, and the stories that you want to tell uh, primarily are fueled by your own experiences. But what makes that even more beautiful and expansive is when you can kind of open that up to other people that have the sort of parallels and, and the sort of uh, connections to what you're talking about, what you've experienced, and kind of open and broaden the platform to get an even sort of bigger, more immersive picture. Yeah. So I, I was having a look on your Instagram um, before this to do a little bit of research. And uh, yeah, there's a picture of you handling a scorpion and there's a picture of you handling a snake. And my instant or is here is a man who's either completely immune to fear or who has a death wish. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why uh, I was really propelled to talk to you. So let's get into this. Let's get in. We're going to cover the attacks we have to in, in some depth. But um, the animal handling, you said you did it for Hollywood. How did that happen? How do you, how do you get into animal handling, Jeremy? Not that I want it, because I'm shit scared of so many animals, I'd be rubbish at it. But just in general, how did you get into that world? Well, I'm not, so I'm not like in an animal handling union or like, I don't know if I have like any kind of professional certifications or whatnot, but pretty much, you know, from, from working in music, I've, I've worked on movie scores for movies and, mm -hmm. and, you know, just living in Los Angeles, you kind of make friends with people that are in in that you know creating video <laughs> sure. world so i think mostly just because a couple of those friends are cheap they were like i could hire like a real animal handler or <laughs> i know jeremy like is crazy and he likes to hold animals and likes he is always ha is always finding crazy stuff so they're like i'm just gonna ask jeremy so that's kind of how it started i think it started with like maybe a snake or a lizard or something they wanted for a music video and then uh and then it kind of spiraled out from there so, so what exactly does it entail when you when you handle the animals? See, presumably you, you're looking after their safety first and foremost with the environment that they're working in, presumably. Um, but what else does it actually entail? Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, safety of the animals, safety of the other people. That too, I don't, yeah. I forget about people's safety. <laughs> yeah. The, all of the animals that I'm, I'm carrying are either non-venomous or the venom is not deadly. To most to most people, <laughs> there's always you know someone might have like a freak allergy or something, right? Um, but but yeah, generally speaking, they're not they're not even capable of killing anybody, including myself. So uh, yeah, I don't mess around with with uh, like deadly poisonous snakes because I know, like you said, like either lack of fear or crazy or whatever it is. Um, I don't know myself. But I know that I know that things can go wrong quick, and I don't mm -hmm. want to be on that receiving end. No. <laughs> so yeah, like the the scorpion that you're talking about in the picture, that's a, a African flat rock scorpion, and I was never stung by it. But but what I was told was it's it's extremely painful. It won't kill you, but it'll be really really. <laughs> The guy that I got the scorpion from said it's like the common scorpions that you see in things. They're like a uh, oh, man, I forget what they're called, but he said it's like getting stung by a hornet. 
And then the African flat rock scorpion, that's like getting stung by an entire hornet's nest. <laughs> oh. So I was like, I was like, well, that one looks angrier. So I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you say you get a, a scorpion from a guy. Do you, uh, how does that even happen? Do you have a scorpion guy? Do you have uh, like a, a guy for specific animals? How does this work? Yeah, I do have I do have a couple like contacts. So the with the scorpion, that was actually pretty hard to find. The direct a director contacted me and said, "Can you have can you have two scorpions for me on Tuesday or whatever?" And I <laughs> I just I just like saw my fingers text back yes what? on the, on my phone. And then in my brain, I was like, I don't know where to get scorpion. Like, I know where to find little ones that, you know, aren't going to look very good on a camera. Right. Like, they, they, we have scorpions in California that are wild. If you go out at night in, like, a riverbed and pick up some rocks, you might, you might find one. But, I, yeah, I was like, I don't know where to find, like, a, you know, a gnarly-looking scorpion. And also, I've never, care, I've never, like, you know, handled a scorpion. So I was like, yeah, that's probably not a great response that my hands did without my brain like <laughs> telling them like to do that yeah, a little bit of discussion might have gone down a bit better first <laughs> but of course I didn't type like I think afterwards I just said yes and then I was off you know and it took me a couple days just to find like where I could get a scorpion you know in southern California pretty much no matter what you're looking for you can find <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> like it whether it's like really authentic Peruvian food or an African flat rock scorpion, <laughs> whatever you're looking for. Like there's so many people here from so many different places of the world in Southern California. You can pretty much find anything like music, mu music, food, animals, whatever. So yeah, I found a guy who had a, had a scorpion and uh, worked out a deal with him where I could, you know, use it for the day for the, for the shoot. Wow. Yeah, I, it's it's never ever. I've never been, and and I really don't want to be, to be honest, Jeremy, in a situation where I'm having a text exchange where I'm agreeing to get two scorpions on a Tuesday, because I just I would be hoping I would fail in every possible sense. Yeah, I upsold the director. He said he wanted two scorpions, and I was like, I can get you one really, really crazy <laughs> looking African rock scorpion, which is going to be better than two scorpions. And he was like, Yes, let's do it. <laughs> So it's nice to know there was some wiggle room there. Yeah, exactly. So let's get into it. Let's get so you you started the podcast based on your own experiences from animal attacks. Uh let's dive into that. And basically what I'm asking Jeremy is what animals have attacked you? <laughs> All right. Uh uh bumblebee, honeybee, mosquito, and then also it goes it gets up goes up from there. <laughs> I've I've been bit by a couple different snakes, non-poisonous snakes, ever since I was a kid, you know, catching animals and stuff. Probably the most insane one or the most painful one was a stingray. Oh. That was in uh, Southern California. And I actually got stung on two different occasions, only a couple months apart from each other. And it's it's not like a it's not like a, a virus where you can like your body uh gets immune to it. Mm -hmm. The second one hurt hurt more. And and maybe uh, maybe the stingrays have developed that to uh, to avoid predators. Like you know, if a, a a lot of like juvenile great white sharks, they mostly eat stingrays in California. That's what they're hunting. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, maybe maybe the the stingrays have developed that because you know, if you sting a shark once and then you sting it again, it's still gonna it's still gonna be as effective as the first time. You know, the That's shark is stung. 
yeah, like a, a sort of evolutionary defense system. That's that's my uh, that's my guess, but I'm I'm kind of talking out of my butt. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, hey, I, I I would go with that. So you've you've convinced one person. So <laughs> you're off to a good start. So then, I mean, how did that? I mean, this is a stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway. How did that feel? Like, was it the like what level of pain came with that? So the first time, um, it was similar to a hornet. It, I stepped on it. Mm-hmm. If you're in the ocean, especially somewhere that has stingrays, like Southern California in the summertime, there's a lot of them. You want to drag your feet along the bottom of the ocean on the sand. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to lift your foot up because when you lift your foot up and you put it down, you may be putting it down on a stingray. The stingray doesn't know that you're a human. It, all it knows is it's being pinned between your weight and the bottom of the ocean and it's right. just going to you know react as anything would in, sure. in self-defense so yeah i was i was holding um somebody's kayak and when you're holding onto a kayak like stabilizing it in the waves you, you can't really drag your feet you can't do both so so i stepped on it then and that one went into my ankle it didn't go in very deep and it didn't um it felt like a hornet you know i, I felt the initial sting and then uh, you know adrenaline it didn't really feel it Maybe about 45 minutes to an hour later, it started intensifying. I got to the hospital because the barb was still in my ankle. Oh. And then put it in some hot water. And when I put it in the hot water, it was like 80, 90% less pain. So overall, that that was like, you know, a bad hornet sting. It wasn't too painful. Like I, I could still breathe comfortably. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> <And> then, that's good. <laughs> yeah, and then they, uh, they, pulled that, they pulled that barb out eventually. And I, I was able to keep it. It's pretty awesome. So you One still of, have, you still have that? Oh yeah, yeah. As soon as I as soon as I saw the barb in my ankle, I just thought, oh, that's going to be a good souvenir. That is pretty cool, actually. That is a quite a badass memento. The second time was a lot worse. I was swimming, and I didn't step on it. I think my foot may have like gone past a rock with some algae, and the and the and the stingray was like up on the algae and got spooked. I'm guessing that's what happened because I was swimming. I wasn't even, you know, it was shallow water, but I wasn't even walking on the bottom. And that the barb went through the bottom of my foot in, oh. in probably an inch or more, like pretty deep in there. And the further the barb gets inside your body, the more venom gets inside your body. Yeah. And and uh and I knew you know, I'd been stung before and I kind of figured like, I know, I know what it's like to get stung by a stingray. It's actually not that bad. People that are like screaming and yelling and being dramatic are just, you know, putting on a show. (laughs) And then, um, as soon as I got hit with that stingray, I knew that I knew, I knew right away what it was, you know, but it was like a hundred times more intense than the previous one because it went in so deep. Yeah. I was like, okay, everything, every like little step was like, like okay swim to the beach which wasn't even far and that was like that was like the only thing I could focus on and then like I got to the beach and there it was in the winter time which is rare for you know stingrays to be very active in the winter there's this old couple walking down the beach and I'm just like waving at them frantically <laughs> and uh and saying like can you can you call 911 usually you know you get stung by a stingray you put it in hot water you're fine but like I knew like I needed to get that well I knew that there was a lifeguard like a mile down the beach and they have a truck that goes on the beach. So if they could get me and then drive me over there, I could get my foot in hot water quicker and the pain's going to go away quicker. So yeah, this is like a really sweet old couple. And I'm, I'm saying like, please call 911. 
and tell them I'm here and tell them I need uh, Stingray export <laughs> or whatever, you know, <laughs> get me out of here. So like this nice old man is like trying to unzipper his little fanny pack around his waist where he has his, he has his foot oh. phone and he's like opening it up and then he forgets, he like doesn't know how to use his own phone and everything was like in slow motion. And inside you're screaming, now is not the time. Now is not the time. Just- yeah, I was, I was about to just snatch it out of his hand. He's like, 911, just 911 send. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the lifeguard came by, you know. I just said, like, like hey, Stingray. He's like, all right, jump in. So jumped in the truck, drove me, like, a mile down the beach. They already had, like, a bucket of hot water for me. I put my foot in the hot water. And the last time I did that, instantly you know 80 90 percent of the pain was gone mm-hmm. and i was just like oh it's it's i'm almost i'm almost out of the woods you know get my foot in that hot bucket and i'm not going to have this like excruciating pain so i put my foot in the bucket and there's no no difference whatsoever like the pain just keeps keeps building and building and the last time i got stung the pain didn't really reach a crescendo till about 45 minutes to an hour after I got stung. So now I'm just panicking, you know, it's been like, you know, five, six minutes since I was stung and it's already like unbearable. I put my foot in the hot water and it's not working. And the lifeguard said, well, you have a really deep sting. You're, it's going to take a while for the hot water to heat up the foot, especially inside your foot, you know, hotter than your foot already is. And it's like, it's a very like fine line between burning the skin on the outside of your foot yeah, (laughs) or it not being hot enough to actually be effective. So he said, give it, you know, give it like 15 minutes, something like that, you know, give it, give it some time and um, it'll take a little longer to heat up the inside. So I said, okay, you know, so I'm sitting there like, just like laboriously breathing in and out, like, (sighs) like every breath is painful. Worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Um, so I wait, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, it's been like well over what he said that it would, that it would start working. So I like waved him over and said, Hey, you know, I feel no difference. Like, I don't think this is working at all. Can I have some painkillers? And he's like, well, I told you, you know, soak it in the water for five or 10 minutes and then, then we'll see what happens. And I was like, I just looked at him like, yeah, I did. And he's like, he's like, you've been sitting here for about a minute and a half. But my brain told me I'd been there for 20 minutes. It was like, it was like time was slowing down so that I could experience more pain for longer. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah, when you're feeling it at that intense level, like you just your general perceptive abilities just get completely scrambled. Yeah, I'd never experienced that before um, from pain. <laughs> so that was that became even more terrifying. It's like, oh no, now I'm entering some other like alternate universe where right, time now, is slower. Now my brain is shutting down. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he said, and the lifeguard said, we have morphine, but it's not going to help you because the venom that's on those, the stingray barb, it does, it's not attacking your nervous system necessarily. It's more attacking your muscle and it's making your muscle tense up and it causes that extreme pain. So something that you would give somebody like morphine to calm your nervous system and make the pain less is, is going to have no effect. And I was like, well, let's try it. You know, like. (laughs) something we've got to try something i can take your word for it but like i think we should try something you know yeah and and like he was very like empathetic he's like i understand you're you know you're in pain but you just got to ride this one out buddy like we can't do anything else than we're already doing and that that was like a very uncomfortable thing to hear and 
I just yeah, I can imagine where he's just like, sorry, but you just got to you got to buckle in and just see this thing through. Yeah, and I think that also has to do with like our modern civilization. You know, everything it seems to me like everything that we do, everything that is marketed to us, is about distracting us from whatever's really going on. You know, or providing a quick fix. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it just becomes, especially here in America and California, it just becomes part of our DNA. You know, it's like, well, if I'm uncomfortable, then I, then I have a beer or I, you know, do something else or watch a Netflix show or whatever, you know, anything that I can do to distract myself from what's really going on. And, Mm -hmm. and here I am (laughs) with literally nothing that can, that can help me, you know, nothing that can distract me. It's just, it's just me in this unbearable pain for who knows how long it's even going to last. You know, that realization was almost more painful than the physical pain that I was going through. Yeah. I I can imagine being told that you have zero options other than just to see it through and just to, to sit with it. That is actually a really interesting point you bring up. Yeah. Because I do feel like we have been, um, kind of put into like this culture has been formed, this mindset very much so that if you are, as you say, uncomfortable, then there's this thing that can distract you. Here's something that can take you away from this instantly or just distract you from focusing on it. So yeah, I can imagine when you're already in the the grip of that severe, intense pain, being told that, yeah, your only option is to just deal with it, essentially, that's wild. The other terrifying thing is as well is if your perception of time is really skewed, then, you know, that's going to make it even worse. Because if what feels like it's been 15, 20 minutes has only been a minute and you're told, oh, you just got to ride this out, you'd be like, what? how long for? And how long is that going to feel like I'm dealing with this? Yeah, it lasted. I had that like unbearable pain for about six or seven hours. Oh, my days. And then like it, it, when it started getting less painful... It was like the the most like the most small perceptible decrease in pain that you could imagine. It was like it was like I think it's becoming less painful. It's still unbearable. And right. and, the, and the term and the term unbearable is also you know well what does that mean? Like I'm sitting there. I'm not dying. I'm in I'm in a lot of pain. I don't want to be there. But it's technically bearable. I'm still alive. <laughs> you know. So like these terms that like I use and we all use like unbearable is like well what does that even mean? You know? Right. I was going to ask, do you feel like, because you've been through that experience and obviously with doing the podcast, you've talked to people that have been through all sorts of horrific experiences and come through the other end. Do you feel like it's given you a different perception on what you can withstand and what generally people can withstand and, and how you mentioned like some people, they get stung and they just have this sort of dramatic reaction. Do you feel like it's it's changed your perception on, I, I don't want to, I suppose it's the only way to describe it really, but how soft we can be as a species sometimes to things. As far as other people, like my perception of other people's pain, um, I mentioned before, stingray stings are extremely common in Southern California, um, especially on a busy beach. So a lot of, I've seen, you know, a lot of people get stung. I've seen how they react, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like a guy will walk out of the water and his ankle will be bleeding. And I'll say, Hey, I think you might've been stung. And he goes, no, I'm okay. And I pointed his ankle. He doesn't even know his ankle is bleeding. You know, he, he didn't even feel this thing. Um, So that's, that's one reaction. 
pretty much right. <laughs> literally didn't notice it. And then the other reaction is like, you know, just hysteria. And I, I was, I was more on that end <laughs> in the story that I'm telling you, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily screaming. I was crying at, at, you know, for a lot of it, but, but it was, it was hysteria. And then that's the other, the other end of the spectrum. So for stingrays, it, it depends. It depends on how deep that barb goes in. It also depends yeah. on how recently that stingray has stung something else, right? So if it, oh. if it stung something else yesterday, it, it put a lot of its venom in that whatever else it yeah. stung. And then it has less venom for when it stings you. Got you. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, so even, you know, how deep it is, how recently that stingray stung something. And then also people have different pain tolerances, you know. This is true. So I've, I think I have definitely uh, gained some empathy for people that I would originally right. think were being, you know, dramatic and over the top. I think maybe now I can say, well, I don't really know the story. Like, I don't know what their pain tolerance is and I don't know how bad that hurts. So maybe I can just give them some empathy. I mean, deep down, sometimes, you know, I might think like, yeah, I don't know. They might be, they might be uh, exaggerating a little bit, but, but generally I try to be more empathetic now. I can see that having been through that yourself. And, and as you say, everybody does have different levels of tolerance. And, and as you mentioned and touched on, you don't know the story behind it, I guess, you know, and, unless you were actually experiencing it yourself, you can't really judge or, or sort of balance or understand someone's uh, experience yeah and then the, the second part of that question was about you know people being quote-unquote soft yeah. Um, yeah that's that's kind of a terrifying question to me because if you you know if you gave me a small dose of that pain and said could you withstand this for six hours without any painkillers I would say like no I would die but I didn't die <laughs> So, um, I don't, I don't know. And I honestly don't really want to find out what my limit is. <laughs> it's, it's pretty scary. Like what, what, what we can withstand, you know, that's, that's very reassuring to hear Jeremy, um, considering the amount of, of just like dangerous animals you're handling. I'm, I'm glad to know that you're not on some sort of mission to test your endurance. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to find out. So, you know, Laird Hamilton, he's a big wave surfer. Some, a reporter asked him one time, how long can you hold your breath? Because, you know, he's surfing these waves that are 50 foot plus, And if you get pushed down, you might be under the water for minutes or more, you know? Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. Like you just have to hold your breath and stay calm. So um, yeah, the reporter asked him, you know, well, how, how long can you hold your breath? And Laird Hamilton said, I don't want to know that answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because then yeah. he's going to be under the ocean thinking, oh, I'm reaching my limit. He's like, I would rather not know what my limit is and find out if I'm in that situation. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Because if you, if you can manage, say, four minutes max prior and <laughs> you're approaching that rapidly, yeah, that changes the complexion of your situation drastically. Yeah, sometimes it is best just not to know, I guess. That's how I would like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then going, going to that you know, soft... I, I don't know. I think, I think we can all, we can all withstand a lot more than we think we can, but it's, mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable and just like life itself, you know, what if you could talk to yourself 10 years ago and tell yourself what you've been through in the last 10 years, you, you probably wouldn't believe yourself, right? Yeah, that's a really good point because towards the back end of the second season of this show, I was reading from a travel memoir that I found that I abandoned like six years ago and reading through it, I recognized parts of me. 
but then there's parts of me which have kind of been through a number of different things and come out the other side and and yeah it, it really is quite interesting to to do that to sort of look back and, and see what your tolerance um for various different types of pain you know physical mental emotional um how how that changes over time through circumstance i guess yeah yeah, I, I really that that all that that stuff really fascinates me, and I ask all of the guests that I have on my podcast, and I do all my interviews in person, or at least most of them. Mm-hmm. So I I really kind of you know watch for physical cues, and I really kind of want to get to the emotion of of dealing with some of these attacks. And it's interesting, a lot of the men, um, they don't talk about fear, they don't talk about um, feelings. They don't talk about like anything that they're afraid will make them look weak. Right. And the women that I talk to that have survived these animal attacks, they're just so much better to interview because they're not afraid of talking about their emotions. They're not afraid of, of admitting that they were afraid. You know, you're in these situations where it's very likely you're going to die and it's okay to say like, yeah, that was scary. And I thought I was going to die, you know, I could tell you when guys are in that situation, they have those thoughts too. But then afterwards, they just act like they never, they were never afraid at any point. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I can, I can understand. Like, I mean, from, from both perspectives, it's got to be interesting to, to look at from, from that particular side with the, the males that you're talking about that you've interviewed that have kind of just somewhat uh, suppressed the, the vulnerability and the fear and and like the the general spectrum of of emotion that must go through a person's mind in situations like that, how they've suppressed that to to power through, and and just don't want to address it. Like that's an interesting character insight to a degree. But yeah, I can I can totally understand where you're coming from. If somebody is more willing to sort of just open up and unpack all the different things that they were feeling and how they felt afterwards as well, yeah, you're getting a much more sort of robust sort of multi-dimensional view of that experience yeah yeah so let's get into it actually let's talk about some of the people that you've, you've talked to for the for the show and what people can sort of expect when they dive into uh teeth but what kind of people have you been talking to and, and what kind of experiences have have they brought to, to the show when i started it i wanted stories that i thought were interesting mm-hmm. and that i was really fascinated by so I I reached out to people that I knew personally or, you know, knew somebody who knew or just, you know, found online through, you know, archived news, news articles or whatever. And I wanted stories that were interesting to me because I had not heard them before. And ever since I was a kid, you know, I watched Discovery Channel, National Geographic, um, pretty much anything, you know, anything with predators is just like my favorite you know an animal that can end us is fascinating you know (laughs) like no matter what so I've heard a lot of stories already you know and and a lot of the stories are similar so I specifically looked for um, people that have had interactions with animals that I had never heard before and if I have never heard these kind of animal attack stories before I can guarantee you most people have not (laughs) yeah for instance I found this guy who was attacked by a Humboldt squid and Humboldt squid are about six feet long and they travel in massive groups 
and they're nocturnal. That's a, that's a terrifying visual already. Yeah, they're nocturnal for the most part. And um, they have a they have an extremely sharp, extremely strong beak, like a parrot, which they can just rip flesh apart. And then wow. on the inside of each of their tentacles, each suction cup has little teeth all around the inside of it. So if if one of those things grabbed a hold of you, just the suction cups could rip your flesh off of your body with the force and the little teeth inside the suctions. And, you know, they have, they have hundreds of these hundreds or thousands of those things. And then also the beak, you know, so he was voluntarily (laughs) filming them. He was hired by, I think it was like monster quest or one of those shows on history, Uh history channel. And so, yeah, he's out in the water at night in, uh, the, in Baja, Mexico. And, uh, yeah, his experience with these things literally attacking him while he's in the water with them. It's fascinating. Like, I've never heard a story like that before. And, and uh, I asked him, you know, he, he had like a, he had a lot of protective gear on to protect him from these things. But, you know, he's, he's on a scuba tank. So all, all it takes is for one of those squid to pull out your regulator, you know, it doesn't take mm-hmm. much. And, um, <laughs> and he said at one point there was a squid that had had its tentacles wrapped around his head and then on the back of his neck there is like a helmet and the squid's uh beak was trying to cut through the helmet to crack his neck and he could oh and he could gosh. he could feel the beak scraping against the back oh. of his helmet and i said well, what did that sound like he just said <laughs> it sounded like horror Wow, yeah, I think that's a fair enough description from from that visual. Yeah, and then I talked to two women that were inside the mouth of a humpback whale. Get the fuck out! Yep, inside the mouth. Yep. Yeah, it, I've I've looked far what? and wide for even any accounts of this ever happening, and. There was a guy in like South Africa that was that was filming a bait ball, which is a bunch of fish, and a Bruto whale, which is smaller. It came up and it as it was, you know, about to swallow the fish, this this guy who was filming, like half of his body got like stuck in the mouth for a second. There's a photograph of it, and then he kind of just fell out, you know. That's about the closest that, that comes to this happening. Yeah. But they were they were in the the, the whale came up gulped up a bunch of fish their kayak was there right on top of those fish and it gulped up the fish it gulped up them (laughs) and the kayak and then the whale went underwater with them in its mouth and the kayak uh it's a closed or a it's like uh it's you don't you don't sit inside of it you sit on top of it okay so it cannot fill up with water it's just pretty much a you know floats no matter what whether it's upside down or not, that kayak came up after like, you know, a second or two, it shot right up to the surface, but the women stayed under. And the reason why like we have like all the specifics is there were at least four different people filming this on their cell phones and GoPros on a Whoa. Monday afternoon in, in Southern California. Okay. Cause I was going to ask, like, did you buy into the legitimacy of this? Cause that, it sounds crazy, but yeah. Okay. That, that, answers that question (laughs) yeah yeah um 
that it's it's completely possible if someone could just make up a story but mm-hmm. i feel like once we get into all the details and everything it, the story would fall apart especially you know i i do most 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 of my interviews last like you know a couple hours where we just talk about all the details and everything yeah. and i i actually kayak guided in maui with humpback whales we would see humpback whales every day so i i have some experience with them myself being on kayaks and I know their, you know, know their general behaviors and everything. And everything that these women were describing fit completely with how humpbacks yeah. act. And yeah, we have the video, we have video evidence. You can look it up, you know. Wow. A couple of the video angles, it looks like the women get knocked out of their kayak. But then there's one angle where it's very, very clear that they fall right into the mouth and then the mouth closes and the whale goes under the water. So it's very clear that they're in the whale. And then the the icing on the cake is the one woman had a cell phone around her neck that was recording video no. and it was in a waterproof case. So once, once she goes under the water, you know, it's just pretty much like you can't really make out anything, but when you slow down the video, yeah. you can see, you know, all these fish, they were just covered in fish. And then you can also see the baleen, which is what the whales use to filter out. It's like what they have instead of teeth in their mouth. And you can see the baleen from the inside of the whale in her, in, by, on her camera that's around her neck as she's just tumbling through the whale's mouth with all these fish. Shit. Wow. That's the craziest story I've ever heard <laughs> with anything. I was going to say, they, they're setting the bar pretty high. Yeah. There. That is pretty crazy sounding. Yeah, so I, I got to, I had a great conversation with them and, like I said earlier, you know, women are a little more likely to talk about their feelings. And and if you're wondering what it would be like to go through that experience, <laughs> listen to that episode and you'll find out. It's it's pretty amazing. Man, that leads us nicely into uh, when, this, the, by the time this drops, the show will be out. Um, you said you're going to be putting a few episodes out to begin with. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, how many exactly and, and what can people sort of expect when it when the teeth launches? I think we're going to start off with a, a seven gill shark story, a moray eel, and a grizzly bear. Oh. People that have survived, you know, individually, those, those three. I think that's, that's what's slated right now. Might change, but yeah, that should be all on, uh, on the Teeth podcast by the end of April. That's a, that's a pretty great start. Right off the bat, you've got some great animals in there and some great <laughs> stories to go with them. Is there anything you want to sort of um, touch upon while we're talking, Jeremy? Anything in particular you want to mention? Or Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I specifically want to tell you about the music we got going on Okay, cool. Um, for this podcast. As I mentioned, you know, I've worked on some movie scores and some um, video games like uh, Grand Theft Auto V, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, nice. And I've, I've got to... I've been really lucky to work with some really amazing musicians and composers that I would never be able to afford for my own project. But some reason, maybe because of, you know, COVID and lockdown and musicians not having very much work, I've been able to assemble this amazing team of, uh, of musicians and composer to put together an incredible original score for the podcast. And uh, from the theme song to, you know, to, to music during the storytelling, it's, it's more like an audiobook than a podcast. It's really awesome. 
and uh, the guys that are doing the music have just really incredible credits. Like that actually interests me. The fact that it's kind of more like an audio book. I like that. I feel like it fits with the the sort of dramatic and emotional scope of of the stories you'll be digging into. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be like a conversation, record the conversation, and put it out, mm-hmm. but it hasn't it hasn't worked out that way. So it, what it's turned into is way better. <laughs> Sometimes that's it. Sometimes you start off with a seed of an idea of what you think it's going to be or what you want it to be. And then just through the process, it just naturally evolves into into something that you didn't expect or even envision. That's often the best way. Yeah. I've got to ask before we before we kind of tie things up with your experience with with animals and animal attacks and, and being stung and what have you. Do you find that you have any animals that you're afraid of or just won't go near? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, most. <laughs> yeah, you know, my family and friends, they, they think that I'm this like crazy person that is, doesn't have a fear of animals. I think I, I think I have a healthy respect of animals. Right. Um, I, you know, I've been stung by stingrays. I've been bit. I've had close calls with bears and sharks and sea lions. And, but I think a lot of that is a, as a result of just constantly being out in the wilderness, constantly being in the ocean, you know? Sure. Um, the, in the last five years, there's been more days where I was in the ocean than there's been days that I was not in the ocean. So when you kind of take like, you know, law of averages, there's going to be interactions. I'm going to have these interactions with these animals. I definitely do not uh, approach <laughs> any kind of dangerous animal or I definitely give them a safe respect and that's 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 essential even if they're not dangerous you know right. we don't want to you know inter- intercede with their normal going abouts so yeah I'm I'm very afraid of a lot of animals uh if I, I I'll tell you this okay do not google cookie cutter shark you don't want to know what it is, and you oh, don't dude, want to know what it does. You say not to, and now that's just pushing me closer to. But at the same time, if, race... I, if I could go back in time and and erase that from my from my memory, and that I did not know it existed, I would be a much happier person. Wow. Okay. Now you're pulling me back a little bit further away from checking it out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, what close encounter did you have with a bear? Because I love bears, so I've just generally before. I don't know if this is going to make it in or this is just for my own interest. Yeah, sure. I could give you the. I'll give you the footnotes version. I was in a Yosemite National Park, which is also in California. Mm-hmm. I saw a mother bear and her two cubs, kind of off of a like a main trail, a ways like around sunset, and they there was like a some kind of like apple tree over there. And they were eating the apples. It was fall times, so they're fattening up, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I saw people walking by the trail. And the people walking through the trail didn't even notice that there was a bear over there, you know, maybe uh, 100 yards or, or 200 yards. It was, it was kind of far off. And I noticed that the bear and the cubs were pretty indifferent to the people walking down the trail. You know, they were they were not paying attention to them. They were eating these apples. So I'm on the trail, and I just stopped. I was like, well... I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of observe what's going on and keep a safe distance. And so, you know, maybe an hour later, I'm still there. People are walking by. They still are not noticing that there's a bear over there. <laughs> it's kind of in the distance, you know. I didn't really point it out because I didn't want them to scare it off. Or, right. You know, yeah. what, or get whatever. <laughs> I was not guiding. I was just out there on my own. If I was guiding, I would point it out. <laughs> so uh, at one point, 
I, the, the mama bear looked up at me and kind of squared her shoulders off in my direction and then just stared at me. And she, she knew that I was there standing on the trail, you know, and didn't care for an hour. And now all of a sudden she's staring right at me and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not good. And I look (laughs) and there's a, you know, she has two cubs and I look and next to her is a cub. And then I start looking around kind of frantically, like, where is that other cub? And then I hear a, a branch break behind me. And I didn't have to turn around. I just knew 100% that's her cub. Her cub is behind me. And now I'm in between her and her cub. Oh, shit. And uh, you know that, that feeling where it's like, well, this is what you're not supposed to do. Now I'm dead. <laughs> so she, she gets up on her hind legs. And then she comes down and she slams her front paws down and makes this kind of sound like a grunt. And when she, you know, she's far away from me, but when she slammed her front paws down, I could feel it like the ground shook (laughs) and both of her cubs, I could just hear them scramble up the tree, like, like little scratchy sounds. And they, they can, a black bear can go like 50 feet up a tree in, in seconds. It's amazing how fast they can climb a tree. And these are like, you know, pine trees. They're pretty straight. The, uh-huh. So yeah, the, the two babies, you know, shot up the trees. And then I kind of decided, okay, the mom's there. The babies were there and there. I kind of backed away at an angle from like equal distance from all of them, you know, and like kept, kept facing her and then like just slowly backed away. And she never chased me or anything, but definitely put the fear of God into me. Oh, you can imagine. Yeah. Like I, I felt tense just just visualizing that and listening to that. Yeah. Wow. So in in general, I mean, I I don't plan on putting myself in a situation where uh, I could possibly be attacked by a bear. I do love them, and my wife is always slightly worried that if we ever go somewhere where there are bears, I'll just run off to try and hug them. I won't. I'm not that <laughs> not that stupid. But um, if I ever find myself in a situation where a bear is just eyeballing me. Uh, is it just a case of don't turn your back to it? Just kind of keep your eye on what it's doing. Yeah, it depends on the species. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, you want to, you know, look big. So put your arms up, maybe make noise and yeah, and back away from, from wherever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it depends, you know, a bear attack, it, they do sometimes come out of nowhere, but a lot of times it escalates. Yeah. So you kind of have to know, like, in, in my situation, the, the bear was eating apples off the ground with its cubs. People were walking by on the trail. Nobody was really interacting. Nobody seemed to be, you know, even bothering the other one. Mm-hmm. And if you see an animal and it's, it's just going about its business, you know, you're probably at a safe distance. Don't go closer. Right, if yeah. you notice that the animal is looking at you, now you're too close. Just that the animal is looking at you. If it glances up and sees you and then keeps doing what it's doing, yeah, you're okay. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's all just kind of reading body language. Yeah, this is true and, and just not intruding, I guess, where you shouldn't yeah. be. <laughs> it's same, same with people, you know? Right, yeah, <laughs> You're exactly. walking down the street and some guy's just staring at you. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't want to get any closer to him. No, let's just back away slowly, just in case. Exactly, yep. <laughs> This has been such a pleasure to link up with you finally and chat with you um, about your experiences, about the podcast. I am really, really looking forward for it launching. 
Um, as I say, the people can go check out the website and sign up to the uh, the, the mystery exclusive content over on the teethpod.com. Uh, but where else can people find the, the podcast on social media and such? Yeah. Uh, first off, it's it's really fun talking with you. You're a great interviewer. I really enjoyed it. And uh, good, keep doing the good work on your podcast. I'm excited to see what your podcast, you know, grows into as you into season three. Thank you, man. And to answer your question, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Teeth Podcast, T-E-E-T-H Podcast. That's how you find it. There you go, guys. That was me talking to the wonderful Jeremy Carberry, host, creator, presenter, producer, all-round mastermind of the Teeth podcast. So, yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode, and let's be honest, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't have, then I highly recommend you not only go and check out the Teeth podcast, but that you subscribe to it as well. Speaking of subscriptions, if you are new to Dimed Out and you have enjoyed what you've heard here, then the best and simplest way that you can help us out is, again, simply subscribing. We're available on all podcast platforms. Simply hit that subscribe button, and it not only helps us out with the old internet gubbins and alchemy and magic, but it allows you to get every single episode following without doing a single thing. Everybody wins. As the heavens have cracked open and the rain is starting to come down over here, I want to take a quick second to say, if you do look in the show notes for this episode, whether it is on the device that you're listening to or on our website at dimed-out.com, you will find a whole bunch of links. And we're really going to kind of utilize the show notes a lot more this season. So if you look in the show notes, you will see that there is a link to our coffee page, which, you know, just for this sake, let's go for it. Coffee is ko-fi.com forward slash dimed out. That is a little platform that allows you to give a one-off payment of whatever you want if you've enjoyed this. That's if you want. Completely optional. It's just a little something you can kick towards us to help the show move forward and grow if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Completely optional, as is our Patreon, which you will also see a link to. But hey, seeing as I'm doing the whole long route, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash dimed out you will be able to read about our one single tier and all the bonus goodies that you get from that as well but yeah moving forward and for the rest of the season the show notes are going to be a somewhat integral part of the show it's going to be a jumping off point a launch pad a portal to both our stuff and to anybody who is gracious enough to lend us their time and their experience and expertise speaking of which next week we're going to kind of have a guest in the same way that we're going to kind of still be keeping things within the animal kingdom yeah, next week we're going to be talking about Pager, the monkey from Neuralink. You may have seen the video, hopefully you have. If you haven't, then now is a good time to go and check that out. But we're going to be using Pager, the Neuralink monkey, as a starting off point. If you haven't, a quick, very brief explanation is that Elon Musk's tech company Neuralink put two brain implants into a monkey and it can now play video games telepathically, which is amazing and terrifying. And to talk about that, and to talk about the future of transhumanism, the merging of humanity with technology, self-driving cars with AI, and all of that good stuff, and take it into some really interesting areas, I'm going to be talking to Chris Cook. Chris is an integral part of the Beyond Binary Thinking podcast, an all-round lovely human being, and the man who has introduced me to Dungeons 
and dragons. So yeah, next week we're going to be talking about brain implants, monkeys, telepathic video games, and the the very exciting but ultimately kind of terrifying future of humanity and technology. Yeah, so you've got that to look forward to. That is next week. As for this week, we are done. So I will say, as always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, look after each other, and until next time, keep it dimed out. I want real human moments.